If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Acts? Book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. We are beginning a new series this morning, really with uh, thinking through carefully together of what our ministry, what our mission as a church is, and how it ought to be expressed. And so with that, uh, we're going to be spending some time in, in the book of Acts. I've asked uh, Rebecca Martinez to come up and read. She's going to begin reading in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Thank you so much. I've been to uh, Independence Hall in Philadelphia a couple of times. And uh, when you take a tour of Independence Hall, you're met with a park ranger, and it's clear that that park ranger has the desire to... I tell you a story. They want to leave uh, an impression on you, want to bring information to your attention. I believe there's some conclusions they would like for you to come to as you tour. Most likely, if the park ranger, if she were to go into everything that she would want to say, it might take days. And yet, how do you summarize significance of Independence Hall? In just a few moments, the, the ranger has to make some decisions at that point, and that's a little what I feel today. I mean, how do we talk about the mission of God's church in just a few moments? I feel like we won't be able to cover nearly everything, but I do want us to take a few minutes. I want to ask you to think about how God has mobilized and how he continues to mobilize our church for mission how God has mobilized and how he continues to mobilize our church for his mission on this earth. The, the, the passage Rebecca just read, it ended in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, speaking of the followers of Jesus as witnesses. And I think that isn't just the first followers of Jesus. I think that extends to all followers of Jesus as, as witnesses. So here's what, here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like us to start in the book of Acts, especially looking at chapter 2. And, and Acts is so important because it's the account of the spread of the, the church. The first followers of Jesus Christ go all over the world. And we're going to focus on chapter 2, but then I think most beneficial is if we take Acts and we bring it into Newark 2017. And then I'd like for us to end with a picture of God's throne. The first followers of Jesus were witnesses. That was the word he used, you will be witnesses. And they were witnesses of good news, but that 
that brings a very important question, and that is like, what is the good news? What is the good news? If they're witnesses of the good news, I think a, a question the church must ask and answer repeatedly is, what, what is the good news? We, we should make sure that is our first thought. And the good news, first and foremost, we're asking, what is it? The first, foremost, what the good news is, is it's the message about Jesus. It is centered on Jesus, particularly centered on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I know this may be like going back through the basics, but I think it's so important that we get those basics firmly, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We're going to go through Acts chapter 2. It's the first occasion of these followers, these followers who are witnesses. It's the first occasion where they actually become witnesses. They actually tell what, what they've experienced. They tell what they know to be true. Acts chapter 2, there's this crowd of people that have gathered in Jerusalem, and they're from all kinds of nationalities. They've gathered in Jerusalem, and, and a, an unbelievable thing happens. In a spectacular moment, the disciples of Jesus begin to speak the truth about who he is, about who Jesus is and what he's done, and they do so in languages that the people can understand, but, but they the disciples didn't know. It's a, it's a miracle. It, it's something totally unexpected, but it was a sign that what Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit would come and fill them, was happening. So they speak to all these people, and they're hearing, they're hearing this same message, but in very different languages. It was a powerful moment. It was confusing. I'm sure it was life-altering and unexplainable. And Peter, I think, feels the burden to say, here's here's what's just happened. Here's what's just happened. And so we get some of that explanation in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. Can can you flip over there? Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed this crowd from all nations. Men of Judea, All who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, if you thought that. It's only the third hour of the day. No, there's something different going on. There is something different. It has to do with Jesus. This message about Jesus, the core message that will be shared again and again in Acts and the rest of the New Testament, he begins to unpack what that message is. He first tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God has been doing all along. Jesus is the fulfillment of what God has been doing all along. Look at verse 16. Peter says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This isn't some just brand new thing that came out of nowhere. This is actually what Joel said hundreds of years ago. He was saying this kind of thing is going to happen one day. And so what Jesus has done the last few days in Jerusalem at the time of the writing of Acts, like what Jesus had done, yeah, that's part of a bigger story, a story of fulfillment. Joel said in the last days it will be, God declares that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters would prophesy. Young men would see visions. Old men would dream dreams. Male servants, female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, verse 18, and I'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above. You've seen wonders, Peter says. This is what's happening. What Joel had said and what a ton of other prophets had said before him, that's happening now. Fulfillment has come. 
The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day in verse 21. And it will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Make no mistake, the message, the good news that the church has to give, the good news of the Bible is centered on Jesus. He's the fulfillment of God's plan. But, but that's not where the good news stops. Let, let's keep looking in verse 22. It says, Peter addresses further. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, and the next words are important. A man, a man attested to you by God. This wasn't a ghost, a figment of someone's imagination. That, that could have been easily disproved. No, this is a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. It was a man. So we've got, he's the fulfillment of God's plan. He's a man, but, but let's keep reading. In verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is good news. It doesn't sound good yet. But Peter is building. There's the fulfillment of all that God has promised, and it came in a person, Jesus. And he was a, a human he was unlike any human that anybody had ever... I mean, the stamp of God was on this man like nobody else. There's something that, that would be hard to explain other than God's present with us, God with us. And we crucified him. You crucified him. But the story goes on, verse 24. You crucified, but God raised him up. This is a powerful verse in the Bible. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And even all, the resurrection of Jesus is attached to more of God's plan by, by David. For David said concerning him, Jesus, David lived a thousand years before Jesus, but he, but he saw something ahead of time and he prophesied, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. My heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh dwells in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. This is in poetic language, a, a description of the resurrection. Brothers, Peter says, I, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He died and was buried. This can't be talking about him. It's talking about someone else. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. And notice the word here in verse 32. And of that we are all, and what's the word? Witnesses. This is what they've been commissioned to do. So what is the good news? That's the question we're answering. The good news is first and foremost about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He was the fulfillment of God's plan. Let's not forget these basics. And, and he was a man, but he was crucified. And now he is risen from the dead. And Peter begins to, continues to tell Verse 33, it says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So the story didn't end with just Christ being risen. He's also exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out everything that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is from God and from Jesus Christ. He's poured all this out for David 
David never ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus even, here's good news, not only is he reigning in charge of things, but he also has poured out his spirit, which is the presence of Jesus with us. This is the good news. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. But as Peter, Peter's not, not done working out all the implications. So we've got this story of the man Jesus, who he is and what he's done. But, but Peter says there's something else you need to know about who Jesus is and what he's done. And that is what God has done with who Jesus is and what he's done. What has God done with this? So there was this perfect man who lived a perfect life and he, he died on the cross and he was risen from the dead and he's reigning. But what did God do with what Jesus has done for us? Now we begin to understand the significance of what Jesus has done. I mean, when you talk about someone who's died, you often will say, well, their death meant, it kind of means to me that, and there might be a thousand different opinions on what someone's death means very different when God says, I'll tell you what his death meant, and I'll tell you what his resurrection meant. He begins to tell us. It means in in verse 36, first of all, that all the house of Israel should know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God has made him ruler. God has made him Messiah. People ask a very important question when they heard this. Verse 37, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what what should we do? Peter says to them, repent. We're going to get to the response later, but, but notice what Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll do this for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your, your, your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. On with many other words he bore, here's our word again, witness and they, they continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves. How do you save yourself? Well, we know in verse 41. So, those who received the word, those were the ones baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. We'll get to the response, but let's make sure we understand, okay, who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the gospel. Then what God did with all that. And then you get these words that I hope you didn't miss. So in verse 38, there's this word gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think it could equally be attached to the gift of forgiveness. You know what God did with what Jesus did? God made forgiveness possible. Forgiveness is one of those that, like, there's no hyperlink in the Bible. But I think if there were a hyperlink and we were to press that, it would unpack a lot more things. It would tell us that forgiveness is our our justification being declared right before God, and it's our regeneration being made new, and it's our reconciliation that we we have a relationship again with the Father, and it's our restoration. We're we're being made new. It's, It's all these things kind of wrapped up in that. That's a gift, and God has given you a gift. God has made possible the the opportunity for you to put your faith in his son. What a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of his presence and empowering and enabling and encouraging. 
Not only is it a gift, but what God has done is God's not just made a gift, but it's also a promise. Verse 39 says that. This promise now, because of what Jesus has done, there's a promise and it's for you and for your children and for all who are far off. I look out at a congregation like this and I recognize some of you are like first-generation Christians. You're the first ones in your family that ever have put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're second generation. Or maybe you're third or fourth or fifth or sixth. But at some point in time, that promise, that promise came to your house. You put your faith in Jesus. And that promise was available for you and for your children, for those that are far off. That's why Peter talks in terms of salvation. That's why we sing. We're not ashamed of singing about salvation. We're not, we have, we have no qualms about singing, thank you, God, for rescuing me, for saving me, because we were in danger. We had no hope, and God came and rescued us. That's what God has done. He's given us a gift. He's made a promise. He's provided salvation for us. This is the means of rescue. Who Jesus is and what he's done, what God has done with all that. But Peter's still not done. We read like, so that demands a response. What must, what should the response be? What should the response be? I mean, that's what the people are asking. What do we do? And Jesus says, and Peter says, Repent. They're, they're cut to the heart. He says, repent, which is really just a, a kind of a, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It's a, a different orientation in life. It says in verse 41, they receive the word by, they receive the word and they, they do so by faith. It, it says in verse 38 and verse 41 that kind of they take steps now after they've turned and they've trusted and received the word that that's true. They take steps of obedience and that first step of obedience is baptism. They identify with who Jesus is and what he's done. What should the response be? Repentance and belief and obedience following Jesus. That's an awesome message in Acts 2. But it's not limited. That that isn't like the the one-off thing that just came to Peter's mind that day. And, And the rest of the New Testament is about some other stuff. Because Acts chapter 3, Peter and John address this, this beggar who's lame. You know what they want to talk about? This man, Jesus, who's the culmination of God's plan, who was crucified, but now is risen and reigning. Believe in him. Acts 4, the apostles are brought before a religious tribunal. What have you guys been talking about? What message are you spreading? Oh, they're very glad to share that message. We've been talking about this man, Jesus, who's the culmination of all that God has done and will do and is doing. He was crucified, but he's risen. In Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, Stephen's got a message. Guess what his message is? It's centered on Jesus. This is the plan of God. You crucified him. God brought him back to life. In Acts chapter 8, Philip takes the message of this Jesus who's the culmination of God's plan and he takes it to Samaria and he speaks to an Ethiopian eunuch and he speaks to Simon. In chapter 9, Saul encounters Jesus. And what what does he do after he's had this 
definite encounter with Jesus that transforms his life, what does he do? He, he shares that message with others, this message about who Jesus is and what he's done. Chapter 10, Peter. Peter shares with the first Gentiles this message of Jesus. Chapter 11, chapter 12. I mean, it keeps going on and on. The disciples seem to have one message, and it's not just let's be better people, let's be a positive force in the universe. It's a message about a person. It's good news. This is the heartbeat of Acts. It, it just, this message kind of ripples throughout the whole Mediterranean. And so you come to Acts chapter 28, the end of the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there, but, but look at these verses. It says, but this is Paul speaking. Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of, has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Verse 30, he lived in Rome. This is the way the whole book of Acts ends. He lived there two years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him. I wonder what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's doing so without, with all boldness and without hindrance. A lot of information. And we could go through the whole book of Acts and dive deeply into each one of the chapters. But this is what I'd like to do now. I mean, the story of Acts is an amazing story. It's a great story. But can we, can we take Acts and bring it like, what does that mean for us in Newark in 2017? What should we do with the good news. What should we do with the good news? This is actually an easy conclusion to make. We, the followers of Jesus, should be heavily invested in sharing and supporting the sharing of good news. This is the conclusion. I don't know how we can come to any other conclusion. This is where Acts 2 pushes us, that we, if we are the followers of Jesus, here's what we should do. We should be invested heavily in sharing the good news and supporting those who share the good news somewhere in our lives. You ought to be able to look at my calendar, and if I say, like, the the good news is the most important thing in the world, you ought to be able to look at my calendar and go, where is that represented in your calendar? Where are you sharing the good news? You might be able to look at my my texts or my, my emails and say, where are you initiating relationships or where are you sharing the good news there? You ought to be able to look at my bank account and go, is that really telling the story that you are heavily invested in sharing the good news and supporting others who are sharing the good news? Is it, telling a, is it telling a coherent story? Or is it telling, ah, actually, that's not a priority to me. That's not a priority to us. If we're going to take the message of Jesus seriously, I, there's no guilt intended or needed here. Just a call for us to take this seriously. So that would certainly mean individually with our, our relatives and our relationships and our friends and our neighbors and, and people that we work with, that there ought to be some effort on our part to share the good news. Often that effort, let me just... Let me just give you a pass here. Often that effort is not going to go extremely well. Often it can be awkward. Often it can be challenging. Often you you walk away going, I really wish I would have said that different. Or wow, that did not go the way I wanted to. But I know the Lord honors the effort of sharing, of being a witness. There's so many stories of people at Ogletown doing that well. Yet I'm pretty convinced that when I hold up Acts, and they're always doing it, I just... This has been a week of confessing to the Lord. Like, Lord, I don't think I've cared that people don't know that message. I don't think I've cared deeply enough about that. 
I don't think I've led our church to care deeply enough about that. This message of Jesus. I mean, we don't have to feel like we're we're some sort of scammer trying to get adherence, trying to get people to sign up for something that is going to benefit us but really hurt them. Actually, the gospel works the opposite way, doesn't it? The gospel isn't some sort of scam. Actually, the gospel says, I'll risk, I'll lose, so that others might gain. That's, that's what happens when we take this message of the good news. This is the heartbeat of the gospel. So what does this mean? I mean, individually, we ought to bear witness, but what does this mean for us as a church? What does this mean for our collective energy? So individually, yes, we ought to be bearing witness. And if you're introverted, that's probably going to look different than if you're extroverted. If you've been a Christian all your life, that's probably going to look different than if you haven't. Can we just like remove all of the excuses I might make, the excuses you might make, and say, what does it mean? What will it mean for me to share the good news and support others? What will it mean, though, for our church? I just want to highlight a few, I don't know, ministries that are focused. I mean, there's lots of them here at Oakland Down, but ministries that are focused on sharing the good news. So can I highlight a few of those? One of those, I think I would say, is we pour a great deal of prayer and work and energy into the next generation. So I'm thinking of children and teenagers so that they might hope in God. Because we want them to know the good news. We want them to hear it. We want kids who encounter Ogletown to hear the amazing story of an all-powerful God. This picture is from next door. And so this is what the girls, and, and I have two girls in that, in elementary, and this is what they, they learned this past Wednesday night. So you might think like, I'm just like, should I drop them off for church or not? Or should we go Wednesday? But this is what they learned this past Wednesday. They learned about the gospel. And I'm so grateful that my, my second grader now and my fifth grader are, are hearing the message of the gospel from an early age that they will not just learn to behave and how to, how to conduct themselves in, in, with respect and honor, but they will learn that Jesus loves them and Jesus went to the cross for them. See, we're vested in pouring out. This morning, I, I'm, not, I'm not motivated. I hear the statistics of how many people, how many Christian kids leave the faith. I hear those. I'm actually not so mo- much motivated by fear. But I'm motivated by the, the glorious good news of who Jesus is. And I, I want our kids to know that. About 100 people in Ogleton, over 100 people are invested in our preschool and children's ministry. They're not just filling slots, trying to get some volunteer hours paid off. Our curriculum isn't just do nice and be, be a good person. We want our kids to just unmistakably know of God's plan. We want it to be deep down inside of them. You know, around 20 individuals are invested in our student ministry. So those couches are regularly filled with students that are gathered around. And if you, likely if you had just gone a few minutes ago, about an hour or so ago, those couches would have been filled. And there's about 20 plus student ministry workers who pour out their lives and, and, and they care about the students. And what they are trying to share with them is about this message of Jesus. They're not just telling them you, you need to behave. You need to make good grades in school. All those things matter. All those things are nice. But there's a unique message that our church has. 
that we want to pour into the next generation. We want to make sure our students realize and process that they have to come to a point of decision on their own about good news. They can't piggyback their parents' faith. Psalm 78, 4 says, we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. I want to ask again, are you invested in sharing the good news and supporting those who share the good news? Would you be interested in playing that role? Do you see that that role matters? I feel like for our church, another good news sharing ministry is found at the pivotal point of college. That's why for even long before I came, we have had a staff member dedicated. So now it's Jamie Walters who's given time in her life toward making disciples of college students. It's such a critical time. And lots of important decisions are made right there. We think, let's pour energy. We're a college town. Let's pour energy into the next generation hoping in God. I think too about those that have come to the U.S. maybe from a, a different place, maybe thousands of miles away and they're living in our country. We're praying that we would always be flooded with people from, from other cultures. I love this picture. This picture is upstairs in a room there. And what you probably can't see is how many different languages are represented by the Bibles that are present there. It's because there are internationals that come and, and they might be in process of, of moving to Delaware right now. And they might never have heard the message of Jesus. And they will walk into a service like this because someone will have the gift of hospitality and invite them. And they'll, they'll sit next to you and you might sing about, thank you, God, for saving me. And that may be new categories. Who is Jesus? What has he done? What an awesome opportunity we have as a church. I mean, God uses gifts of teaching and evangelism, of giving and, and of mercy, all converging to say, this is what Jesus is like. Would you be interested in sharing the good news? Supporting those who share? Do you play a role in that? There's a host of other events. I could show pictures and tell you. I mean, I, I desire for our church to be focused on this, but it's not just like what our church is doing. I, I mean, we ought to we ought to press hard in these areas. I'm grateful for our partners, strategic partners, Northern Delaware, like, like Young Life, and, who go to Newark Charter and how desire for Newark High and Christiana and DMA and George Reed Middle School. What matters, what matters to, to Young Life is that people hear the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we support that. And, and there's Urban Promise that reaches out in, in Wilmington and brings the good news to some tough, tough places. So we have our own efforts and we partner with others all and we desire to send workers out. We certainly do that with our denomination, our mission agencies. Even this week, I was just going through, okay, are we exporting good news? So we send students and chaperones to Germany and what are we trying to do there? We're trying to export good news. Lord willing, we'll have a couple trips in 2018. But are we all church trips, church-wide opportunities to export good news? Joe and Elizabeth Blandeburgo are coming back from a two-year assignment in the Philippines. You know what they've been doing for the past two years? Exporting good news. Think of college students like Tariq and Nick and Cami coming back from summer missions. What, what did they give their summer doing? Exporting good news. 
I think uh, of Lael Houston in East Asia, given a year of her life to export good news. I think of Vernon Pam, second career in retirement, exporting good news to West Asia. I think at this point, I, I, I could... I hope you see the passion. I could launch into detailed statistics and heart-moving stories and try to find some statements. I'd rather give you a picture. Can we just fast forward, just for a moment here, about a thousand years? So a lot of what you're worried about right now won't matter then, surely, right? But imagine this, in a, in a thousand years, there's a throne, and of course God's on the throne, and Jesus is present. John gives us that picture. I want us to see it really clearly in Revelation 7. John says this, After this I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. They were standing before this throne, and before the Lamb they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. They were crying out with a loud voice, voice. Thank you, God, for saving me. What would bring all sorts of ethnicities and races together? This would bring all ethnicities and races together. Saying, thank you, God, for saving me. People from every tribe and every tongue. And I have asked the Lord, like, let Ogletown play a role in that picture becoming reality. It's a picture. And one of the earliest followers of Jesus, I think, saw that picture and was motivated by a conviction. In Romans 10, verse 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then there's this series of questions. And Paul's convinced, I hope we are as well. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he starts asking the questions like, well, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And and don't think so much of a pulpit on Sunday. Think more of the term like broadcast. Like, how are they to hear without someone broadcasting this message? And how are they to preach? How are they to broadcast that unless someone sends them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who, who broadcast the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? But faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How will they hear unless someone goes and tells them? And how is someone going to tell them unless someone sends them? So church, we are commissioned. Christ has sent us. I'm going to leave us with two prayers. One, and, and these are ones that I've been praying all week is, Lord, open my eyes and open my heart because I can be so apathetic and blind and selfish. Open my eyes. Let me just see people. And then move me toward people. Overcome my fears and lack of courage and conviction, like my pretending I really don't believe this when actually I do. Let that conviction drive me toward people to share the good news. Church, we've been mobilized been mobilized for mission. And that mission, first and foremost, starts with the good news about who Jesus is. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help, all right? Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. We fall short. 
in stewarding well the good news that you've given us. I thank you for even seasons of life and as we think through the upcoming fall, new rhythms perhaps for many of us, different rhythms. I pray that we'd be eager to share the good news and support the sharing of good news. Thank you for the ministries that you brought up in our church. Thank you for our, our partners. We pray that you bless with them. Bless them. I, I, I thank you for the, those that we have sent out and pray that you'll use their efforts. Lord, at the end of the day, move our hearts. Move us toward people. May we love and see like you do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.